Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, if you like these and you've been enjoying them up to now, please share them. Uh, leave a comment on Spotify, that would be great. Today I'm speaking to John Brownlee Baker. John joined the Royal Artillery as a boy soldier aged 15 in 1958 and reached the rank of RSM and became the Garrison Sergeant Major at Larkhill before emigrating to Canada and actually joining the Canadian Reserve Forces, ending up as a Lieutenant Colonel. John served in Aden during the 1960s, serving with the GS City Reserve Battery. Today John tells us about why he joined the Army, what his boy service was like, and discusses Aden along with other stories. I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to John Brownlee Baker. Hi John, welcome to the podcast. Could you just take us over why you joined the military and what your training was like? I can honestly say um, Aden and Hong Kong both referred were the best times of my life. Um, I joined the army, my stepfather. Um, we didn't see eye to eye. Um, he beat me. Um, not much, but it was enough to annoy me. So uh, my mum, I was a big lad um, in Midlands, um, and uh, I joined the army at 15. Um, I got two half-sisters. Um, one was born um, when my mum married my father. The other one was born just before I joined the army. She was born in October, and I'm not that cl well we're close, but we're not. My older sister, um, we're very close. Um, yeah, I joined the army in boy service, um, going nowhere, went to Tawin, to the Outward Bound School, and got a B grade in, and took off from there. Um, came back, boy lance bombardier, junior B bombardier, bomb, junior sergeant, junior BSM, graduated in the summer of 60 as junior RSM, and went to Fox Troop, got the best field gun prize. Um, and it's really funny, I went to 3RHA, um, I was boy RSM, and 3RHA were doing a thing at the Three Counties Show in the Midlands. And I went there, um, and of course, hanging up my jacket with the RSM's wings on, or the RSM rank on, everybody's saying, well, good God, we got RSM here now. And one of the sergeants there, George Greenin and Jock Riddick, were both J battery, um, and I led myself to J. And in fact, my boy BSM in boy service, Jim Williams, um, was going to third as RSM. So, of course, that was a natural progression. And at 18, going to Kenya um, in, what, 61, that was, that was fabulous. Um, went there. We, did, we were looking after Aiden, and there was no permanent um, regimental. 19 regiment took over from us. They were the first full-time um, regiment there. Um, C battery were went the year before, so C were there for five, four years. Um, some of them joined J, and when we went to Aden, we were the last. Let's start this again. Um, C battery went in sixty to sixty one. Then D battery went for four months. J went for four months. D went for twelve months, and then J went for twelve months after the end. And I'm pretty sure there was only a couple of us. Maybe did the whole time. Um, in, in Aden with Jay. Um, the first time we went to Attack, um, 
which was 25 pounders, that was a four month tour. And then D battery took the 105, the Pacow, the spaghetti gun. Um, we took over from D. Um, that was, I went to Bay, well, to Attack again, went to Bayhan, um, went from Bayhan up to the Wadi Ain, I think it was, up on the Yemen border, and we were fighting up there. Um, then we went practice camp and we went to Dala, and that was Dala when it really started. Um, Christmas Day, in fact, in Dala, um, we got shelled um, from the FNG fort across the wadi from us. And Mike Banks was the RSM of the, the OC of the Marines. And there was us, the Marines, and an FRA battalion um, in Dala. Um, that was pretty hot to Christmas. Um, in fact, four tanks were the, the armored regiment there at the time. Um, they had armored cars, two corporals, Casey and Hawks. Myself and the other number one was Ron Skoltok. Bomb we were all bombardiers. And that was we moved up to the we moved to Wadi Rabwa in the Christmas, the New Year of sixty-one. We went down New Year's Eve, um sixty-one. We went to the Radfan and we stayed there then for the whole time. In fact, Jay were the, we had 13 guns. One thing on this book, um, on the story, um, Andrew, Ron Manford, who was a GPO at the time, um, finished up a brigadier. He may be dead now. I'm not sure. Um, he wrote a book called Jay Battery in Aden. And I've got it. I've got a couple of copies in um, Canada with still with me. Um, I can send them to you. That gives a big picture. I didn't realize, you know, people in the war don't realize the wars going on in other parts of the country. Yeah. And that's a very good book. Um, it deals with the officers mainly. Um, it's written by Ron Manford and Tim Thompson, who was air troop commander at the time. Um, we were three sections, one in Attack, one in Makiris, and one in Dala. Um, say, Ron... Um, Stag, Major Stag, can't remember his first name, was the BC, and he organized a camp in Attack, a regimental camp, and that's when we changed. We went from At from Bayhan to Dala. Um, and I was due to go back to Keeney on promotion. And Pat Lewis, who was the number one in Dala, in uh, Makiris, got medivaced. And instead of going to Kenya, I went to Makiris as a sergeant. Then the the section from Makiris was moved to Dala. Um, there were six guns in Dala, and I think three in Bayham. We were a nine-gun battery, um, and it was pretty—it was remarkable. Um, the infantry had 45 Commando, three Para, Royal Scots, the KOSB, and they were rotating, but we couldn't rotate because we'd only got a regiment there. So, in fact, I got really well in with the Royal Marines. Um, Jock McGilvery was the BSM at the time, and he's dead now. I know Jock died um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, where am I going on this? Jock was the BSM, and then we, sent, we had a BSM, W02 Ted Cross posted in. He was senior to Mac, so Mac came up country. And 
he was pretty good. He was, in fact, he was darn good as a GPO. I mean, we had six OPs, I think. Tara sergeants were OPs. We had Lance Bombardier running the command post in Pamir. Um, we were moved up the Wadi. We were mainly on tabletop, um, which was a, the tabletop was a flat mountain. Um, yeah, that was, it was pretty interesting. It was very interesting, in fact. Um, we were there. We camel packed up Pakhau, um, not very successfully. We put it under the Wessex, we put it under the Belvedere. Um, the Navy, in fact, the Navy pilots, the Royal Marine and Royal Navy from Kamaxer in Aden, the RAF wouldn't. It was a strange setup. Um, we were supporting the FRA and the, the Arab army, and we weren't picking up secondment rates and they, the British government at the time tight as hell said no you can't pick up you can't get the secondment rates because we control you you're, you're on loan to the FRA um, it was really a strange setup we were supporting the FRA we couldn't get secondment rates and then it was that started in the new year um, 61 about April I think it changed to a British operation when the British took over from the Arabs. Um, it's okay, it's cars going past that's fine, on the highway. That's fine. Um, yeah, it sounds like airplanes, but it's not. Um, what else can I say? It was a lot of fun. Um, we, everything was, we had no electricity, obviously. Everything was the fridge. Oh, that was it. The, um, the fresh meat used to come up in for solar packs, um, and the water was, of course, bloody, but it was cold, and we used to drink yeah. it. Um, it, was, it was a strange war, and the war in Vietnam was obviously going on at that time, it was just starting. Um, we saw one news agent the whole time we were there, and the SAS came in, they lost two people. Um, we fired, I mean, we were firing, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just fun. Um, I knew the Arabs would never attack England. That, I mean, it was crazy to think now. But, you know, there was lots of soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, they're all dressed up. We were in shorts, ammunition belt, desert boots, and, that, and the boonie hat. And that was us. Um, I, I don't know. It was... It was strange. We were away on our own. They were never going to bomb England. My mum was safe. Um, yeah, it was a strange war. It was a really, really strange war. It's, there seemed um, to be a lack of interest from the British government about it as well. I mean, they were planning on leaving Aden. So it was like, why were we there? You know, why why were we actually there trying to you know control the protectorate when the, the plan was to leave anyway? I think it was. With the experience of old age, and I see the world now, I think we had a lot of people in the government then. Winston Churchill was dead. Um, Macmillan took over from him. Um, I think it was Macmillan. Yeah, Macmillan. They, they were veterans from the Second War or the First War. I think now we're seeing... I think there's going to be another war. Um, I think there's going to be another war in the Middle East, for sure. Um, Politicians now, I think Northern Ireland started for Britain. The 
you know, we were allowed 10 rounds of ammunition and fighting a, an armed force. Um, everything's political now. It wasn't political then. Um, it was it was a different kind of war. Um, I mean, 67 was the only year of the last century the British soldier wasn't killed somewhere on active service. Um, we stopped dying in Aden. We hadn't started dying in Northern Ireland. Um, I think politicians now, I mean, you can say this, I'm you know, 81 and dying. Um, I don't care. Um, you know, I think politicians now have, have lost, lost the will to win. They've lost the will to fight. I think politicians now have lost, have lost the... They don't see the world the way we saw it. I was born, I'm 81, I was born in the war. My aunt was in the Air Force. My mum's sister was in the Air Force. She couldn't go in the Air Force. Or she couldn't join the armed forces because of me. Um, no, it was it was a strange world. It was a good world. It was a good world. I used to argue with my grandfather. My grandfather was in the first war. He was in the RP in the second. And we used to argue about you know, granddad, why why do you want to bring back the whip and the birch? And now I'm now I'm eighty one. Older than my grandfather was when he died. And I'm saying, why don't we bring back the birch? Um, you know, I I don't care anymore. Um, I think the world is heading towards a big disaster. I really do. It is. It's a, it's a very different world, even from when... I mean, I'm 55. Uh, I joined the Army in 1985, and it's a very different outlook on life now as to what it was then. You know, I'm talking, um, I, I talked to my brother. I've done a podcast with my brother, and he joined in the 70s, uh, late, very late 70s, in the engineers, and even like discussing things with him. Um, how different, like said, like guys going into training now, um, what it was like when we joined. Uh, I'd imagine if you'd have looked at our training, when I, I went to junior leaders as well at Bramco, um, if you'd have looked at say, my, my version of junior leaders to what yours was, it would have been totally different as well. You'd have been thinking, like, you know, probably looking at us going, oh, we, we, you know, it, it was much harder for us type of thing. Have you, have you got any great memories from like your basic training and junior leaders and stuff? Junior leaders, yes. Junior junior leaders made me. It really did. Um, I joined the army at 15. I mean, I hadn't been, well, I used to cycle and play on the Morvern Hills and, you know, I was fit. But I had no motivation. And the Army Outward Bound course motivated me. Um, that was when I, I think now, why did I get a B grade in? And B grade in so the Outward Bound school were very minimal. Um, well, you say my rank took off as soon as I came back. It was different then. We wore we wore uniforms were World War One, um, you know the high neck button up, um, you know leather belts. Um, it it made me. Our sergeants were all, well, most of them were wartime. Um, I look back on my life and I think what people influenced me. And my one guy in boy service was. This, the troop sergeant, um, Paddy, uh, what's his name? Um, Bird. Bird was a drill sergeant, and he was very fair, very hard. And he made me, I looked at myself and thought, well, I want to be a sergeant, that was the big thing. Um, well, I wanted to be on the guns, that was the other thing. And they made me a Tara, and a Tara then, it was an RT board, and you know, the, what, the range finder, and it was, it was crazy, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I went on the stayed on the guns my whole service. Yeah, I fought like crazy to to stay a gunner. 
I want I joined the gun guns gunners and I wanted to stay a gunner. Um, that was the that was the big thing for me, um, and I did. Um, I think now perhaps I'd have gone to gunnery staff, but I think no, 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 no. The guns are the place to be. If you join the artillery, the guns are the only place to be. It's surprising how many people have actually said that. Yeah, a lot of people do say that. And the the way the career goes in the military now is, unfortunately, you can't. You know, if you're going to progress, you have to leave the guns. Or, I mean, I know guys who've worked in DOPs all their career and they didn't want to go anywhere near the gun line. Um, But at some point, you have to be a crossover, you have to do it. Uh, I started off on the guns myself, um, but I always wanted to be a signaller, uh, and I ended up being a signaller later on. And then, uh, you know, uh, but I was I was also a clerk at one point as well, uh, not a very good one, as I've mentioned in my podcast. There, uh, I kind of got sacked and put to the guns as a punishment, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me in the army to go on the guns. Um, so after Aiden, where, where did you go after that? Well, Aiden, we went to um, Owen. Basically, the 60s, I was in Britain for maximum maximum 12 months. We went back from Aden, went on disembarkation leave. Um, then that was in the, probably finished that in November, went back to Netherhaven. Um, we went to Germany then in the spring of, well, the 64. Yeah, we were in Germany then from 64 to 70. Went back to Colchester and three years in Colchester, which we did. I did five tours in Northern Ireland, five or six. Three, four months and two or three, three months. I can't remember now. Three in, three in London, Derry, two in Belfast, one in Armagh. And that was in three years. Um, then we went to Hong Kong. And then I left the battery in Hong Kong and went to 19 Regiment as RSM. Um, and that really was, that really finished me in the British Army. Um, Tony Hunter Chout had been, the, was, took over the battery in, in Northern Ireland, took us to Hong Kong. Um, Tony was, had a reputation. Um, he'd come from um, where did he come from? He come from Malayas, I think. Um, he was a Foreign Legion sergeant. Um, he joined the Foreign Legion and he had a reputation. And we had a good battery. We had a great battery. We both fought along the same lines. In fact, it was really funny. Three RHA had three gun batteries. It was Shiny C, Gunji D, and Grotty J. That was that was that was the way it was. Um, we were always the Gunji ones. We were the ones, we were the senior battery, but we'd been Madras Horse Artillery, so it wasn't in the British order of battle. We weren't we weren't senior. We were founded before the other two. Um, people argue with me, but I know the, the you know, battery history. Um, but we were we were we were very very lucky. Um, they practice camp in Colchester. We did a practice camp there. When Tony Stagg was the B, was the CO, yes. So Northern Ireland then, in the 70s, down in Northern I didn't serve over there until uh, my first tour of Ireland was like 80, 87, um, doing the Maze tour. Um, I'd imagine in the 70s it was, it was completely different. Uh, I, I know I've spoken to guys who served in Ireland around that time. 
and said you know it was it was hectic it, it, was, it was things changed yeah. all the time when some of the guys went over initially there were you know there were welcome people making cups of tea the biscuits in the street and stuff like that and then it just like kind of changed almost overnight to from a cup of tea to the the ladies banging the, the bin lids in the street and stuff like that can you can you tell us yeah. what the, the service was like in Ireland during? yeah it was and we we went to um, yeah, for me, probably having Tony Hunter out as my BC, um, and then the CO I had in 19 Regiment. Um, he was the only guy in the regiment. He was from the King's Troop with no names, no pack drill. Um, the only guy in the regiment with two years seniority who didn't have a Northern Ireland medal, at least a Northern Ireland medal. Um, I can see what the, I think the career. Um, career people were on about, putting me in charge of him. But I was young. Um, I made mistakes. Yes, I did. But I was a soldier and he wasn't. So, and I was single. Then the guy that took over from me, Paddy MacDonald, was from 7RHA. He was going out. He was single. Um, so that was, that finished us. Um, and I came to Canada. Um, Met my wife, got married, came to Canada. I had a career in the Canadian Forces as a reservist. Oh, okay. um, I had a career. My, I joined in Vancouver, obviously. Um, I went to, got a job in Ontario, so I transferred. And the CO in Ontario said, I don't want warrant officers. I got enough warrant officers. I want to make you an officer. So I went through the second career in the Canadian Forces as an officer. Um, got commissioned. The captain went to major, went to CO. Um, finished up as honorary colonel, um, which, you know, 43 years, I guess, of uniform, I guess I was designed to be a gunner. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every single minute of it. There were high points, there were low yeah. points. Um, yeah. Can we go back to, you say you served in Hong Kong. Yes. Could you just describe what the role over there was? Because uh, a lot of people younger... Um, won't understand. I mean, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Aiden was it's like a forgotten war. Um, people know about Ireland and stuff like that, but people, I don't think people realise that we actually had a military role in Hong Kong. We were there for a reason. Could you just explain what happens? I think we were there, basically. That's the thing. I did. We're there to stop the Chinese taking over, but the Chinese had no ambition to take over because everything was going into China through Hong Kong. Um, we had the five fives. That was the last practice camp at Colchester. Um, the gunnery staff said, you know, the gunnery staff were given the job of the, which battery would get the five fives. Um, and I think we were streets ahead of everybody else. I say that quite categorically, but we got the five fives. And our job, as far as I can see, I mean, we did practice camps around the island. We were hard to move, you know, five fives as opposed to the other two batteries had the spaghetti gun. Um, we won the year I was the one year I was there, '73. We won the best gun competition with the five fives. I look at Jay. I did two. I did. I got promoted when I was in Germany, and I went to Sea Battery. And life was so different then. In Jay, saying we were Gunji Jay. That was that was that was us. We were Gunji Jay. I went to Sea Battery, shiny sea, and everything was polished, and it was. I mean, little things like the, the Abbott had a window washer for the driver's periscope. Sea battery, shiny. It was, it was brass. 
C. Buckley painted the paint off. J. Buckley painted it. D. were the, I don't know, it was something different about J. Something, just to the battle honour, the fact that we were a junior battery, the fact we'd been in Madras horse artillery. There was something different about J. I think. And in fact, I went back to J. Um, in fact, one of my numbers ones in C. Battery, Les Dare, was promoted. And Les was being posted to J. And I thought, sod it, I'll try the RSM. I went to see the RSM, Stan Tullett, great RSM, great man, first class. And I said, sir, um, so you make him there as being promoted, just want to go to Jay, I'd have to go back to Jay. He went to see the CO, CO got the two BCs in, I went back to Jay as a TSM. And Pat Lewis was, we were good friends then, I know if Pat's still alive, um, I don't know. I know he was a Jock McGilvery's funeral, but whether he's alive now, we lost touch. The only guy I'm in touch with, apart from Gunners, from my era, is Danny Webb, who was, Danny finished up his BSM of D battery. Um, he was a number, he'd been a troop sergeant major in C. He and I were A and B troop with Tom Simpson, who was the BSM. Another ex boy who was on the Goshen list about four or five removed from me. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a good battery, but it was, it was so different, so different to Jay. Um, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And we got, I mean, as good people, I mean, the regimental reunion, um, what's his name? Um, the guy was just handed over. I forget now. Oh, what's his name? He was a number lodge. Yeah. He was a, he was a gunner in DNC battery. Um, when I was, when I left, um, yeah, it was, I went to Libya with C, which was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed my time in, in 3RHA, for sure. Can you compare your service with the Canadian forces uh, as with the British forces? It was similar? No, no, no. Canada Canada has good soldiers. Canada's army, armed forces are great. Um, I look at Canada and Australia. Two countries, similar size. Australia on their own in the south of the world. Um, Australia is far better than Canada. Canada relies too much on the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, far too much on the United States. Trudeau, the father, of the, well, father, that's another story. <laughs> um, he took the Canadians from the British to the Americans, took them down south. I think that was a mistake. Um, in fact, when we got to Germany, the Canadian battery, the Canadian regiment, one RCHA, was um, in Zost. Zost and Hemer, and I was a sergeant. I'd been in the army, what, six years? I was a sergeant. They had bombardiers who were in, been in Korea. Um, they had depth. They went, then they had a um, defense minister converted, converted into one force, and they all wore green. Well, can you imagine sailors going on warships in green? Um, they were laughed at. Nothing wrong with the Canadian soldier, nothing at all. He's a great guy, but the, the government has screwed the Canadian forces up. Um, and forces, the same in NATO now, they're being underpaid. I mean, Kipling wrote poems about the army, the British army at the time. Um, you know, Tommy this and Tommy that and Tommy wait outside. You know, it's one of those things that there will always be screwed, um, unless it comes to action. And I think, you know, a war is on the books. But Canada now is, it seems to be, we went through a good spell when we were in, um, in Afghanistan. 
Um, but again, you know, the politicians don't want to put bodies on the line. We will never win a guerrilla war with the air, the air Force. I mean, you know, the only way you'll do it is by putting people on the ground and putting people into places where people shouldn't be. Um, that way you'll ignore the, you know, you'll stop killing the innocents. But, you know, what am I? I'm just a little old soldier and living at the end of his life. And that's what I think is going to happen. I mean, I think the, the future of warfare is changing uh, in the way it's going to be, you know, because you, you watch um, footage and stuff like that coming from Ukraine. It's, I wouldn't say it's the technical side of stuff like that now, but with drones and missiles, it's it's like putting it's putting normal artillery. It, it, do you need it? Do you, you know, with the drones and missiles, long range. I know a third now have just changed to MLRS, and with the guided missiles that they've got and stuff like that. I, I left. Yeah. I left. Um, I left the, the third in 2006 and went to 3.9 to get a post into the UK. And I didn't really know about um, MLRS and stuff like that, and the, the launches and the way the missiles were, stuff like that. Um, and it was a big eye-opener for me uh, to see that. And then when they were out in Afghanistan using the uh, guided missiles with a 70-year range and accuracy down to 18 inches and stuff like that, it was like, wow, yeah. it's amazing, really. And I think that's the future. And that's where the money should be poured into, and maybe maybe it's not. Um, let's not think about normal artillery anymore. Guns one five five and one hundred five. There'll always be a place for them, and you'll need them. Um, but I think the the future of the artillery should be looking at missiles and, and drones and stuff like that. What, what do you think on that? I think I think the artillery is the artillery worldwide is losing its touch because we're going to more and more and more into tactical stuff. Let's face it, artillery is basically simple. It's the Mark I eyeball. Um, now we're getting more and more electronics, and if the Chinese are getting really good at this, they're bringing in more and more um, anti-electronic stuff. We're buying more and more from China because it's cheap. We're giving them the blueprints to all the stuff we've got. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's changing the concept, and I think we're going to be the biggest loser in this, in the next war. It's all right to change it. You're stopping killing civilians. We'll stop killing civilians by the time you put people on the ground. And that's what the Israelis are trying to do now in, 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 you know, in Gaza. But they're still killing people, you know, because the bad guys have got the... We're too tied in by being nice guys. We're fighting an enemy... And this, since World War II, Britain has fought. We were fighting in Palestine, we were fighting in Aden, we were fighting in Malaya, we were fighting in Oman, we were fighting in Ireland, we were fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq. We weren't fighting a regular army, we were fighting a, a guerrilla warfare which weren't bound by the same rules and regulations that the rest of the, the army was dealing with. You know, Northern Ireland, 10 rounds, that was all you had. Well, Sadly, as, as a troop sergeant major, I carry I had my 50 rounds of ammunition. I kept, if I sent guys out on patrol, I thought they needed more than 10 rounds. I give them the, yeah. they get more than, they get a full magazine. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry, that's the way it was. You know, everything has to go back through now. I mean, you read books on, on Afghanistan, the Americans, the president has to make a decision on whether to use ammunition or not. And that, that is crazy. That is crazy. Um, 
yeah yeah even when even when i was when i was serving um i spoke to people uh, who were doing certain jobs over there and when they were arresting people um it had to be sanctioned by parliament so that would go all the way up the chain yeah you know, you had yeah. to tide and certain things. I mean, I know in other ways it it, it covers people. Uh, I mean, the inquiry, some of the inquiries from Iraq and and Northern Ireland and, and Afghanistan about where people were treated and stuff, and it kind of covers that. Um, you've got to be able to have some free reign. You've got to be able to say this, that, and, and you know, act what you see on the ground. Yeah, it it, it is. And what was where was I going? I was thinking of something then when you were talking. Um, well, I forget what it was now. So how how did your military service um, have a bearing on your life after you left the army? Oh, I, I'm. It's still it's still my life. <laughs> it's still my life. Um, I've forgotten my you know, my civilian jobs in Canada. Um, I think back on my service. Um, all my Facebook friends are mainly military. Um, yeah, it's I'm a soldier. I'll be a soldier till I die. I find that I'm being, I'm working myself off. I'm, I shut myself off from the civilian world. Um, they don't speak the same language as me. Um, they don't, they don't understand where I'm coming from. They worried about the, the, the day-to-day stuff. Nobody leaves the world anymore. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's something I've done from the time I was, you know, the time I joined the army, the world has always been my my oyster. Yeah, always. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I know what you're saying. I mean, when I left the army uh, ten years ago, eleven years ago, sorry, um, I found it quite hard to integrate into civilian life. Basically, if you know what I mean. My first job in in the real world was um, I was industrial engineer. I became an industrial engineer. And I was at Lark Hill. That was the other thing. I finished up with 19 Regiment, and I still got time to... I won my second tour and as RSM. And I said to the career people, Tom Smales, Bob Smales was the career, the CEO in charge of the career for WOs. And he said, where do you want to go? I, I've been to the Hebrides. Um, and I thought that would be a great place. The Hebrides, the range up there. I said... Like the range officer of the Hebrides, we took the blowpipe. We had blowpipe in 19 Regiment at the time. Again, the AMF, and I went to. I stayed in Lark Hill. I mean, I got the job of garrison sergeant major in Lark Hill. Finished. I mean, in charge of those play schools and the sports field. That was my job. <laughs> and I was what 30 something. Um, wanted to. I mean the. The Hebrides would have been ideal yeah. for me. The mountains, the ranges, um, yeah, it would have been. But no, Lark Hill. Um, I had some lot of fun there. In fact, there was a tro- troop sergeant major um, of the Gun Park troop was ex commando, um, one of the warrant officers, um, one of the WOs. One, we're all the same vintage. Martin John, Lucas Stella, and myself, and we played. We played the school RSM with Bob Miller and then Brian Armitage. Bob Miller came. I don't know where Bob Miller went, but Brian and I are still on Facebook together. Um, he was wounded in, uh, in the Falklands. We had a great time. I really had a great time. Anyway, Du Costello, I thought, I know a lot about people. I don't know about a civilian job. So I went back to college when I left the army. We lived at home for six months. Um, then I got married and emigrated. 
and got a job with Crane Canada making toilets. And I thought, there's nothing wrong with this place. But a couple of good bombardiers and half a dozen good gunners couldn't put it right. <laughs> and that's why I looked at life. It was a fact. It was a fact. The supervision, some of the supervisors were good. I mean, they, but they were civilians. They'd been, a lot of them had been wartime. One of the guys had been in the PPC. A lot had been uh, a Van Du in Korea. And Joe Chabot. Um, but Joe had gone completely the other way. Um, yeah, it was it was strange setup, but I thought that I really did think that there's nothing wrong with this company that a good so a good a good soldier's mess wouldn't look right. Yeah, yeah. I've, I thought I thought that, you know I've seen some firms that I think yeah you could do with a bit more. Let's say discipline, um, but you've got to be careful in the way you talk to people, as I found. <laughs> yes. Well, I'd say I've, I've gone past that stage now. I don't care. Um, but I was, you know, I've retired. I said I've got probably another 10 years of my life, hopefully longer. My mother lived till she was 99, 98, before her 99th birthday. My wife's just oh, no, come I'm, in I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I'm got that. I'm working out. <laughs> Do you have any more outstanding memories uh, that you'd like to share before we uh, actually finish? No, um, I don't really. Andrew, I think I've, you know, all the things I thought about, I've talked about. Absolutely, the you know the people. I think of, I hope I've made an impression on some of the soldiers that I've soldiered with, um, like some of the people I've talked about, like Dickie Bird, Tony Hunter Choate. Um, they made an impression on me. And I hope I've made an impression on some of the people. In fact, it's rather strange that my Facebook friends, most of the military people in third, are Jay from. Hong Kong and Germany. Um, there's not many of us left now that were in Aden. Um, we're, most of them, are, you know, either died or retired. Um, but it, it's really amazing. That, and I can see why people from the war went to the legions, because that was the other thing that struck me when I came back from Aden. Um, and I think it's something that people don't realize that the world has gone on for both sets of people. I'd been away for three years, I came back, my mother was glad I was home, that it was into everyday work. Um, my sisters were, well, the one was, both of them were glad to see me. They were right at school, and I guess I was sort of tied up in, I was still tied up in Aden. Nobody wanted to hear about the story. That's where I shut myself off. And in fact, I finished up, I was given six weeks, given six weeks disembarkation leave. I went back to camp um, because I couldn't stand it. I, I was sleeping on the floor. Um, the bed was too comfortable for me. You know, but my mother didn't care. My stepfather obviously didn't. Oh, that was the other thing. My stepfather didn't give a damn. In fact, I came back. I beat him at darts. That was something I remember that very distinctly. That was something that was great. And maybe when he died, he died about, nine, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, we become good friends, but we weren't initially, no. Yeah, enough said on that one. Yeah, he didn't appreciate me and I didn't appreciate him, I don't think. Um, yeah, and I can see now that I made mistakes. I made big mistakes with my life, but I learned from them and I hope I can't make them anymore. Um, I don't think I do. Um, no, it's... Part of life's rich tapestry. That's the reason I sort of went when I saw your ad. I thought this is interesting because 
nobody's. I'm, I'm, I wish I was in, in the Vancouver now because I could send you a copy of the book that Richard Mangford wrote. There's a guy who's dead now, was in Dematry, Keith Reeve. Yes, I've, um, I've, Keith was, I spoke to Keith um, last year and the year before. Um, We'd had some probably discussion. the year before he's been dead. Sorry, year yeah, the, my timelines are all over the all over the place. Um, when I was with Deepak in Iraq in two thousand three, I made a video um, of of our our time there, and uh, Keith picked it up uh, a few years back, and we we had some conversations on Facebook over it because he was well into the videography and and photography and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I had, had some conversations with Keith. So I, I know who you're talking about, which and he yeah. seemed a really genuinely nice bloke. He was a first class man. He was. We didn't see. We didn't. It was very quiet in Kenya, um, but of course he went to eight and then um, with a lot of my friends. That um, we didn't really. We met on Facebook again. You know about about yeah. I started going to Facebook. Well, I retired from from Canadian Forces, I guess. Keith and I were became good friends, and he. Well, of course, I don't come back to Britain that often anymore. Um, the last time I was back was um, 2017, in fact. Um, I came back for um, the reunion. To, was it the place in Dudley? What was it called? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Uh, I mean. That's moved now to Newcastle. They're, they're doing it in Newcastle now. Yes. Which I don't mind, it's close yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that, your, your Yorkshire accent. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I think we'll wrap it up there then, um, John. It's been brilliant talking to you and listening to your stories. Well, I hope it's been helpful. Um, I hope so. Um, my wife says I talk too much, but I don't listen enough. But I hope I've you know, said enough to make no, 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 no. <laughs> You're okay. I thought, <laughs> You're okay. I thought it was you talking and him talking. It's you just talking, so that's fine. Sometimes you don't listen to me. <laughs> no, no, keep talking. <laughs> I'm glad you make him talk. I'm glad you make him talk because I can't. I told him to write a book and I said, just tell stories. No, 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 no. So I'm so glad you're, you're making him talk. So keep chatting and I'm not here. That's you, Tom. <laughs> Something I've discovered already with, with doing this, and I say I've only been doing it a few weeks, is that the stories in all of us, it's a way to get them out as well to, to let other people know. I mean, it'll be a record of this conversation for forever how long it's on the internet. You know, once it's on the internet, it's there. And it is good. I mean, when going back to the conversation I had with Keith, uh, it was about the video that I'd made, YouTube, years and years, 10, 15 years ago. And people are still watching it now. And it's mainly just maybe it's people from the regiment or whatever, I don't know. But people are still, you know, it still gets views now about it. I'll have to send you a link to it. So you can... But it's, it is good to talk. The people I've spoken up to up to now doing this podcast, They've all said the same thing. It's good to share the stories and get them out there because it's it's a bit uh, cathartic as well. It, it makes people it makes yourself feel better to 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 talk about things that normally you wouldn't talk to and talking to someone who understands exactly. what you're saying as well. Exactly. No, I was, I was just saying it's it, it's been good talking and it's good for people to actually get their own stories out. Uh, it it helps um, with people's mental health and stuff like that as well because uh, generally we don't talk to people about our service you know even, i mean i've not I've, i was in for 27 years 
and I'll tell stories to the guys at work about stuff that happened. And it normally involves beer along the point, you know, along that line somewhere. You know, every good story starts yeah. off, so we go for a beer. And it's a lot of them are like that. And but the stories, places like Bosnia and Iraq and things like that. Um, when you what you were saying earlier about um, when you came back from Aden, the rest of the world had carried on, and they were interested in what had been happening over there. And I found exactly the same thing when we come back from tours of say Iraq or Northern Ireland or Bosnia. Um, people at home weren't weren't really bothered. They didn't they didn't want to know what you were doing. It was kind of you know it's, yeah it's it's beyond our eyesight. It's beyond our our view, and we yeah. don't really want to know about it. Yeah, I'd imagine the guys from the you know from the First World War, the Second World War, and every every conflict we've ever been involved. When they've come back from that, they'll have probably experienced exactly the same thing. So you haven't got anyone to talk to unless it's but another it, guy who's in the military. It's funny you should say that. One of the things I thought about: um, my grandparents kept a pub, and I was born in a pub. Um, and the people using the pub, the men, were the age that had been in the war. Then my aunt and uncle kept a pub um, in Malvern, Royal Oak, and I used to go over there because I used to like the pub. And but I was always, and it's funny, I came back from eight, and I was what, 21, 22, 22. The kids I'd gone to school with, in fact, a sweetheart I was left school with, um, they didn't interest me anymore. I wanted to talk in the pub with the old guys. And they were interested in me because they'd been in the war. There was one, Charlie Smith, that was a war department policeman. He'd been RSM of the Worcesters during the Second World War. And he became like a grandfather to me. My grandfather was dead. He became like a grandfather to me because he could relate to what I was talking about as a young guy. My uncle had been in the Second World War. He could relate to what I was talking about. My aunt, who was in the Air Force, for God's sake, she got a mention in dispatches in the Air Force. She was involved. She was doing some spooky work with the, um, the radars. Um, I remember TRE in Malvern was the big thing. TRE, Technical Research Establishment, the Royal Radar Development Establishment. And she would come through on her train. And I caught her one day in the kitchen. She was cleaning her pistol. Now here's this dishy young woman. I was, what, three, two? I can remember it vividly. She was sitting at the kitchen table cleaning her pistol. And I thought, I didn't know it was a pistol then, but she was cleaning it. I mean, it was a pistol now. It was a 38, but that was that was her job. I mean, that was the thing. You know, you talk to these young girls now, and they, she was what? Probably 22, 23, 24. Talk to 24-year-olds now, I don't know. It doesn't seem the same. You know, I think we're different world we live in. Different world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. whole other conversation, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, John. Um, I'm coming up to the time that I've allocated for us on here now because I only get sent so long on yeah. this, uh, my, on this my... software and it, it cuts me off, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, my. my um... My time on my phone is going down too. There was still off was a hundred percent, and it's gone down now. It's thirty something, right. okay. thirty-three, okay. thirty-three. Better yeah. get that on charge then. 
Right, I'll just I just want to uh, close off by saying thanks for talking. Thanks for volunteering. This. No it's, problem. it's been brilliant. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and then when I get this out, no I'll problem. post a link on Facebook for it and stuff like that. And I'd imagine some of the guys out of the, the red side for the PPMA are going to love to hear this. They're going to remember names that have been mentioned and stuff like that. You know, it's it's been great. Okay, I'm glad I've been I'm glad I've been able to put input, Andrew. That's the main thing. You know, I'm glad I have. Because it's important. As soon as I read your opening email on Facebook, I thought, oh, I've got to do this. But my wife, she said, has been banging on to me for, you know, she basically me with Storytel, and I, I'm not interested in that. You know, I'm only interested in talking to veterans who know. That's the thing. You'd be surprised, though. I mean, if you've got a book in you, get it out. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Some things are better left but not said, eh? <laughs> But I'll, if you don't, if, let me know. We're here now to, to early March. Um, and I'll send you a copy of the book that Richard Manford wrote. I say it's, it's very much officer's material, but it gives a lot of the stories of that aid. And, you know, there's some stories in there that, that are funny and some that are not. Um, but it tells you the story. It basically it gives you a big picture of the battery. And the only thing I will say Nellie Brembridge, the captain that won the lieutenant that won the military cross, he says, I was medevac through smoke from drinking um, Tiger. It's wrong. <laughs> it is very wrong. And Keith Reeve put that right in his book. He wrote about J Battery and Aiden. Um, it was lack of water. We weren't allowed Tiger up country. But Nellie screwed up. He screwed up lots of things. So, but anyway, that's, that's the story. I'll look out for it. Right, like I said, yeah. it's been great talking to you. Uh, I'm going to end it now. Um, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast. It was great getting to speak to John today. During our conversation, we spoke about a guy called Keith Reeve, who knew John well. John mentioned that Keith had done a write-up about Aidan before he passed away. I'll put a link in the show notes for this. I had a read of it. It's very interesting. Thanks again to John for giving up his time while he was on holiday in Mexico. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please share. Thank you. Bye-bye now.